You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, it's Palm Sunday, guys. I was at Starbucks this morning, and I was talking to someone, and they haven't been to church in a long time. They've come once or twice, and I said, hey, today's Palm Sunday. They were like, what? It is? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, what's Palm Sunday? And I remember the days when I didn't go to church very much. I just remember palm branches being part of Palm Sunday, and I never understood what that meant. But this day is a huge day. This day is a huge day. I want to start with Zechariah chapter 9. There's a 500-year-old prophecy that says this. Zechariah said, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph. Let me hear a shout from you real quick. One, two, three, shout. Woo! O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a what church? On a and riding on a donkey's colt, a donkey that's never been ridden. What's the significance of this? this? This verse right here is so rich. I can just talk to you about this verse for weeks and weeks and weeks. This was written 500 years before Jesus ever rode into Jerusalem. And right immediately when you look at this, you recognize Jesus is unlike any other king. And in fact, he's riding on a donkey. During the days when, when Jesus came into the world, Rome was the empire that was governing everything. And in fact, Israel was under the hand of Rome. And if you were going to go to battle, if you were going to war, you know what you would ride? A horse. Because a horse represented battle. But Jesus is coming on a donkey that represents peace. He's bringing, remember, he's the prince of peace. He's bringing peace into the world. He's a humble king that doesn't need to flex his muscles. Do you know anyone like that? He's a humble king that doesn't need to flex his muscle, and he's riding in. And for 500 years, this prophecy has been sitting on the shelf. Do you have a prayer that you've been praying for a while, and you're wondering if God has forgotten about that prayer? It's this unanswered prayer and maybe you've said, God, give me this, you know, the job that I would like, or God, would you reach my, my husband or my wife, or would you reach my kid, or God, would you just reach my cousin, or whatever it is. And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and nothing is happening. I want you to know, first of all, God hears your prayer. You don't give up on your prayer. God hears your prayer. He loves you, and he cares about you. Israel's been waiting for 500 years for this king that Zechariah talked about, to come riding in. The first thing I want you to hear this is don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. You being at church right now, hearing God's word being preached to you is a moment. Don't miss the moment. God could be working right here in front of you, and if you're not here, you're not receiving what God is doing right here in front of you. If you're not here. I remember I had someone tell me here at Thorn Creek once that they just didn't feel like God was moving here in the church. And it just was so ironic that they said this. This was when we were in another building. It was so ironic that they said that because that day we had like 20 people come forward and 10 people committed their life to Jesus. But they were, in this, they were sitting down and they said, I don't feel like God's moving. See, God could be moving right in front of you and you could miss the moment. God could be moving in your home and you could miss the moment. God loves you. He cares about you. You're not here by accident, and God wants you to 
wants you to, wants you to, to discover his love and his grace. Don't miss the moment. Jesus <laughs> went throughout the town and villages, and when you look at the life of Jesus, his miracles brought a lot of controversy. Sometimes they brought rage. Other times, if you were the recipient of a miracle, then it brought great joy. But as you look at the Gospels and, and, and you look at Jesus' life, one thing that you see over and over is Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem. In fact, Scripture says he set his face towards Jerusalem. And Luke chapter 13 says this, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing. Do you see that? Always pressing on toward Jerusalem. I just get this feeling of always just pressing. You know, I'm doing all these, he's doing all these miracles. He's, he's making the blind to see and casting demons out and, and teaching and, and doing all these miracles. But he's always pressing, always going to Jerusalem. You know, you, you might think you're a focused leader, but there's no focused leader that was ever so focused as Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that in Jerusalem is where the cross was at. Jesus knew in, the, in Jerusalem, that's where his ministry would be fulfilled. That's where his mission would be fulfilled. Here's his mission. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. There's the mission of Jesus and that right there was just in the back of his mind all the time. And he was always pressing towards Jerusalem. It's a love that pressed him. It's a love that motivated him, that compelled him to say, I must go to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. And when you look at the Gospels, you see Jesus say, in Jerusalem, I'm going to be persecuted and I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be you know, cursed and I'm going, to be, I'm going to be whipped and I'm going to be you know, all these things. And he said, but I got to go. I got to go. And you see Jesus always pressing towards Jerusalem. That's what he was working for and living for. That's what everything happened. And it was all because of his love for you. It's all because of his love for you. So Palm Sunday today marks what's called Passion Week. And Passion Week is the final seven days of the earthly ministry of Jesus. His final seven days on this earth. When we have our, our building again, uh, whenever the Lord decides to work that out, um, something that we used to do when we had a building, and I'm looking forward to doing this again, is we would have service every day throughout Holy Week. And we would talk about what did Jesus do on Monday? What did Jesus do on Tuesday? What did Jesus do on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? And then we'd even uh, open the church for 24-7 prayer. We'd have people showing up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray. and we'd, we'd actually have staff sleeping in the lobby in sleeping bags and waiting for people like you to show up and, you know, your graveyard shift or whatever. And, and we'd have everything set up so you could pray. I want to do that again. I miss that. If there's a time that I miss a building, that's, this is right here. It's, it's this season. Passion Week is rich. It's so rich. I want to give you a backdrop of, of Palm Sunday because... Typically, we just focus on the palm trees and we focus on the donkey. But before the palm trees and the donkey, here's, here's the background here. John chapter 11 tells us this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before 
the Passover. So first I want you to hear this, is there's this incredible Super Bowl festival, Jewish festival known as the Passover. The Passover, when you go all the way back to Exodus, you read about this, and it's the time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God told Moses, Moses, I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go to worship. And Pharaoh was really hard-headed, and then there were these plagues. And the last plague was this angel of death, and God sent this angel of death, but God told Moses, here's what you're to do with my people. You're to slaughter this lamb, and with the blood from the lamb, I want you to smear it on the doorframe of every house where my Hebrew people are at. And, and as the angel of death goes by, if the angel of death sees that blood on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over that house. Passover. Isn't it beautiful that now Jesus is our Passover lamb? And anywhere where the blood of Jesus, God passes over his judgment on us. It's by his grace we are saved, not by our works. So Jewish Passover is a huge holiday. And it's been going on for, for literally centuries. And, and in fact, this is so big, there's been the Bible scholars that have estimated how many Israelites were there. And they say there were, it would have been at least, just based on the number of lambs slain for the Passover feast, there were at least 256,000 lambs that were brought to Passover. So in Jerusalem, you can imagine 256,000 lambs, just everyone, you know, bringing all these lambs, and everybody's carrying their their own. And in fact, there were approximately 2.7 million people in Jerusalem at this time. And it started on Friday. Passover started on this coming Friday. It would have started. So everybody's going to Jerusalem. And when you keep reading this verse right here, there's something else here. Verse 56 says this. They kept looking for Jesus, and and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? I mean, he's a a Jew, right? He's a Hebrew. He, He should come. But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So at this point, Jesus is a wanted man. He's a wanted man. He has history. And every priest, all these teachers of the law, he's been, they've, been so, they've, been, they've been so mocked by Jesus and intimidated and all these things and offended. And now Caiaphas, the high priest, says, you know what? Jesus is a wanted man. And you see Jesus just, you know, in the midst of all this, he knows he's a wanted man. And he just sets his face towards Jerusalem. And he says, I'm coming. I'm coming. I love Isaiah. Chapter 53 says this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. John the Baptist said this. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Revelation says this. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. See, all these sheep... 
that are showing up in Jerusalem these times. 256,000, approximately 256,000 lambs. Everybody's bringing, you know, you're coming here. I got my sheep for my family, for this is for me and Grace and Josiah and Hannah. And we got my sheep, here's my sheep. 256,000. What's the purpose of the sheep? But to experience the forgiveness of my sins. To experience the forgiveness of the sins of my household. That I could have a relationship with God. That my guilt would be absolved, taken away. I mean, the purpose of the sheep was the shedding of the blood. Scripture tells us without the shedding of the blood, there's no remission of sins. So everyone's bringing in their sheep because spiritually they know they're not right with God. And this is part of the process. If I bring my sheep and I slay the sheep as my Passover lamb, then I could experience the forgiveness of God in my life. Then I could experience God's blessing in my home. 256,000. But you know what God does? God has his lamb. It's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But his lamb is different from all the other lambs. His lambs is going to free up all the other lambs. His lamb is going to put out of business all those shepherds who are taking care of sacrificial lambs. His lamb is enough where from here on, after his lamb, you will never have to bring another lamb for your family again, ever. Glory to God. Because of the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, now you can pray directly to God the Father. You don't need anyone else. You don't have any, there's no other mediator between us and God but Jesus Christ. Now you can ask God for forgiveness for your sins when you're riding in your car down I-25. Just don't close your eyes. You can, you can ask God for forgiveness of your sins when you're at Starbucks or when you're at home or you're in your living room. Wherever you're at, it's because of Palm Sunday. It's because this lamb that was taken in. Hear this. Jesus gave up his life so that you could have life. There's no better life that's available for you than your life in Christ Jesus. No better life. All the money in, in the world won't give you a better life. All the sex, all the power, all the pleasure, all whatever it is, there's no better life than the abundant life found in Christ Jesus. So this is part of the backdrop. Before Palm Sunday, you have Passover happening. You have 2.7 million and 256,000 lambs and all this stuff, and there's a lot of hype. It's a big Super Bowl event. But then there's this other thing. John chapter 12 tells us this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, so that's before Friday, six days before it begins, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of whom? Lazarus. Well, who's Lazarus? When you read about him in John chapter 11, he's the guy that was dead. You know how many days? Four days. He was dead. He was the guy that his sister said, if you would have been here, he would have been alive. And Jesus said, don't worry, don't worry, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he shows up and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus gets out and he's just, you know, all waddled up and he's bouncing in there like that. And everybody's like, wow. Do you think that put Jesus on the map just a little bit? He already did all kinds of miracles and made the blind see and do all these incredible... But bringing someone back from the dead after being dead for four days, how do you wrap your head around that one? 
verse 2 says, A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. It's so cool when you read the scripture, it's like Lazarus was just, just chilling. You know what I mean? He's just sitting there eating, and hey, can you pass pork chops? Oh, actually, they don't eat. <laughs> can you pass the meatloaf? <laughs> Wrong crowd. <laughs> can you do that? Pass me some french fries. You know what I mean? And I, I wonder if people were like, hey, Lazarus, what was heaven like? Was there light and stuff? Did you see Moses and Elijah? Did you, what was that like? Verse 9 says this, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus. The man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. Again. (laughs) For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted him and believed in Jesus. Because Lazarus is just walking around, people believed in Jesus. They said, how can you you argue against him? How can you argue against him? I want to ask you a question. When people look at your life, do they see Jesus? When they look at your life, do they say, wow, (laughs) the love of God. Wow, I see the love of God. I'm just so amazed at the love of God because I hear the words that come out of your mouth and I see the way you treat others. And wow, you're so loving. You're so different and unique. (sighs) How can I get what you got? I see a joy in you. And I, I, I see you. Where do you get that from? When people look at you, do they see Lazarus? Do they see Lazarus? Are they compelled to seek God because of you? See, God is so good. God will meet us where we're at in our homes and everything, and he'll meet us where we're at, and and he wants you to know his love and his grace, and he wants you to experience all the healing that he brings through the work of the Spirit, and he wants you to experience all this freedom and all this joy, and he wants you to experience all that at your personal level, but it doesn't stop with you. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them it doesn't stop with you. Can you do that? It doesn't stop with you. It's not about, hey, here's your card for heaven. Now you got it. Now you can coast the rest of your life. You know, here's your card. It'll keep you out of hell. Just hold on to this card. It's much more than that. Here's what I want you to hear. God wants you to live a Lazarus life. God wants you to live a Lazarus life. God wants you to live your life in such a way that people look at you and say, wow, where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Tell me. You're different. You used to be like, but now I see, where do you go to church? Where, where can I get that? I've seen you work through some difficult stuff, and I've seen your faith in the midst of difficult stuff. Where do you go to church? I've seen the way you treat those and respect those around you. Where do you go to church? I, I, I've just seen you. You're just different. There's something about you. Where do you go to church? There's no greater life than living a life for the purpose of God. No greater life 
than living a life for the purpose of God. And you see, you see Lazarus is there, and, and, and you see people are flocked to there. And I got to see Lazarus. I got my lamb, but where's Lazarus? And here comes Palm Sunday. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 says this. As they approached Jerusalem and kept, came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Let me just stop right there. Mount of Olives is really significant. You see it all over Scripture. The Mount of Olives is the place when King David's son, Absalom, rebelled against his father, King David, and wanted to take the crown of King of Israel. King David wept for his son at the Mount of Olives. You also see it as a place where King Solomon uh, worshipped. An, an idol worship happened there at the Mount of Olives. Ezekiel's vision, one of the visions was that the prophet saw the glory of God and he rested on the Mount of Olives. And every time Jesus visited Lazarus and Mary and Martha, it was at the Mount of Olives because that's where, that's where they lived. The famous Olivet Discourse that you read about in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 was at the Mount of Olives. And in fact, the prophet Zechariah says, he, he made this prophecy and he said one day that the feet of our Lord will one day stand at the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives has incredible history. And you keep reading, it says this, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away, which is way cool. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey, a donkey that's never been ridden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, the Gospel of John says it like this, they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Even the king of Israel. Have you ever wondered the significance of palm branches? Simon Maccabees was welcomed back, he was a king, was welcomed back after his victory over Syrian powers 100 years before this day when Jesus entered Jerusalem. 100 years before Palm Sunday, a guy named Simon Maccabees was treated the same way. The palm branch is kind of like the U.S. flag, just a little bit like the U.S. flag. It's patriotic. Why would they be waving these patriotic palm branches? Well, it's about Rome. All they're thinking is Rome has been oppressing us, and finally, we have King David 2.0. And King, this Jesus is going to be our new King David, and he's going to slay Rome for us. And they're waving their palm branches because they believe Jesus is going to free them from Rome. See, Palm Sunday is one of the most misunderstood days. Jesus was riding in and and they're waving palm branches, and the disciples are with Jesus, and even they don't fully grasp what's happening. Nobody is thinking, oh, the prophecy of Zechariah is being fulfilled right now. 
Jesus, perhaps, is the only one that knows that the cross is waiting for him in Jerusalem. He's the only one just riding on this donkey. And everybody's celebrating such mixed emotions. Everyone's waving palm branches. And you know what Jesus is thinking? To the Garden of Gethsemane that we read just a little bit, you know, the next chapter. You know what we, we read about? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is having a private moment with God. And he tells God, God, take this cup away from me. It's the cup of suffering, the cup of sin, of humanity. And he tells God, take this cup away from me. It's just, take it away. But nevertheless, God, may your will be done and not mine. And he was in great anguish in the garden of Gethsemane because he knew he was about to drink the cup of the sins of the world and bear the weight of all the sins of humanity. And it was so much to bear for him. So much. So the Israelites are saying, waving their palm branches and saying, finally, we're going to be free from Rome. And we're going to go back to the glory days. You ever think about the glory days? Oh, if I could only go back to the glory days. Oh, it was great back then where we used to live and we used to have. That's what Israel's saying. We can only go back to the glory days. It'll be just like it used to be. Just like it used to be. But God does not answer their prayer right there. He doesn't answer their prayer. Hear this. God may not free you from your Rome, but God's plan is bigger than your Rome. Sometimes we say, God, you take care of this problem. And God might say, you know, there's a bigger problem I want to take care of. Sometimes God doesn't deliver us immediately from that Rome, but you know what? God wants to do a miracle right in front of that Rome. Sometimes God will use Rome to keep us humble and we seek him with all of our heart, all of our mind because of Rome. And we find our place on, the knee, on our knees more because of Rome. <clears throat> Sometimes the most loving thing God can do is not answer the prayer that you prayed. Because he sees something bigger. He sees something bigger. And it's not just about you. It's about your family. It's about those around you. It's much, much, much bigger. Here's our problem. When you're not spending time with God, like, you know, in his word, and you're not, like, hanging out with him, and, you know, you didn't have tea with him. You know what I mean? You didn't have, you didn't have coffee with him. And you're just not in his word every day. And you just kind of drift just a little bit. It's, it's spiritually normal to, to drift. If, if you're not spending time with God, you start to drift little by little. And, and the way God has laid it out for us is, is spending time with his word. When we're not in with God, we're not walking in the spirit, and we're not abiding in the vine Our prayers are shallow. We have shallow prayers. And our prayer is like, God, I just want that girl. You know, God, just give me more money. God, just fix this over here. And God, just just heal this right here. And God, just fix this. God, heal. You know, God, I need you. You're a good God. Just fix this and heal this God. and, And we'll be on our way. Give me a new. God, just do this. Shallow prayers. Sometimes God will hear that. I mean, he always hears our prayers, and sometimes that's God's will. But more often than not, his view and his perspective is bigger than yours. And when you walk with Christ and you spend time with him, you see God's will. You see God's will. Look what happens. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted. Let's read this together, guys. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes. 
what they were shouting. They were shouting. It's really interesting. This passage actually comes from Psalm chapter 118. And they're quoting Psalm 118. The word Hosanna means save us. But it wasn't save us from our sins. It was save us from Rome. Save us from Rome. We want a better life here. We want a better life. Save us from Rome. And what are they doing? Shouting Hosanna. Can you imagine how the disciples felt? You know, they've been walking with Jesus for approximately three years now, and, and they're with Jesus, and he's riding on the donkey, and everybody's waving palm branches, and they're like, yeah, you know, we latched onto the right train here. Look at all this. This is awesome. Yeah, we were, we've been with him for a long time, guys. Yeah, we've seen all kinds of miracles. This has been awesome. I can't imagine the mixed emotions inside of Jesus, inside of his heart, as he's thinking about the cross, and he's thinking about what's waiting for him. And all these people are waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. <clears throat> but if you look closely, this same crowd that was shouting, Hosanna, these same, the same crowd that was saying, crown him, crown him, crown him. And just a few days later, what are they shouting? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Same crowd. Crown him, crown him. Days later, crucify him. We want Barabbas. Same crowd. Same crowd. It's an incredible lesson for us guys. Have you ever been hurt by someone? Someone ever say flattering words to you and kind of puff you up a little bit and, and, and tell you I got your back and you're my friend and I'm with you and and next thing you know is you, you read what they say on a post or they send you an email that just brings you down or they send you a text or whatever it is or they have a conversation with you. Have you ever had that happen before? Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it feels like. He spent his three years of ministry healing, teaching, loving, providing. And at the end... Crucify him, and he's going to the cross for their sins. For their sins. He's trying to save them, and they're trying to kill him. You know, people are fickle. I'm not telling you anything new, am I? People are fickle, aren't they? One moment, won't they be saying, wow, you're awesome, man. You're, you're so awesome. You look like Brad Pitt. I don't know. You look great. Yeah. And the next minute, there's just, you know which people worry me, make me the most nervous? I'm just going to be honest with you here as a pastor. It's those people who on the front end are extremely flattering with their words with me. I've discovered those people who are just over the top flattering, you just wait, you just wait, and, and, and it'll drop. <laughs> And it usually drops after a few months. And then they tell me how they really feel. Do you have any relationships like that? Jeremiah says our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Deceitfully wicked. Don't ever, don't ever. <clears throat> hmm. Let me think about how to say this. Hmm. Don't ever try to live your life to please people. Because you're going to be let down. Live your life to please God. You'll love people because that's pleasing to God. But, but let God's voice be the loudest voice in your life. Not her and not him. 
Let God's voice be the loudest voice in your life. And God will give you a different perspective of everything. God will show you great and mighty things. Verse 10 wraps it up, and it says this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And here was their question. Who is this? So in the crowd, you have the teachers of the law and Pharisees. You have Rome. You have city government there. And and they're looking at Jesus, and many of them felt threatened because Jesus is about to take the, steal the hearts of the people. And they're thinking tax dollars and power, and Jesus is a threat to our government. So you have those people who are concerned about their jobs and, and their influence. Then you have these other people who are waving palm branches. And what are they looking at? Oh, David 2.0. King David 2.0. Here it is, right here. Rome, you just wait. Here he is. You better start running, Rome. Then you have other people in the crowd that said, Hey, Jesus, can I get another sandwich? Last time I was with you, you gave me some fish tacos. That was really, really good. All those fish and loaves that you fed me with. And I'm really hungry, Jesus. So I'm really, I'd like, hey, Jesus, I brought my kid. I brought my aunt. I brought my, they also need a healing touch from you, Jesus. Hey, can you come on over here and bring that wagon over here and do that stuff that you did last time and, and heal them? Because I want you to do that over here. I have a need for you, Jesus. You have the disciples that are with Jesus that aren't really connecting the dots. You have this mixed crowd. And the question is, who is this? I want to ask you that question. I want to ask you that question. Who is Jesus to you? If you were in the crowd, what would you be waving? What would you be shouting? Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? You know what I've discovered when you, my prayer, of course, is that you give your heart to Jesus and you let Jesus come into your heart and live inside of your heart. There's the prayer. That's step number one. But it's so much more than that. It's living your life in and through Christ Jesus. It's, I want to please him. I want to please him. You know what I've discovered? When, when Jesus gets a hold of a life and they just go to the extreme and they say, gosh, I'm willing to sell everything for him. I'm willing to go anywhere for him. I'm willing to do anything for him. I'm, you know, those people who Jesus has, they're all, they're all in all. You never have to persuade them to spend time reading God's word. It's just in him. You never have to twist their arm and say, you got to go to church this weekend. Oh, I don't know. The Broncos are on. I don't know if I can do that. It's my only day off. You never have to do that. You never have to do that. When Jesus is your Lord and Jesus, you've dropped everything for him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And you want, you want his will. You want to do everything to please him. You care most about his smile. His smile. And you want to love the unlovable. And you want to reach out to the one who's the prostitute or whatever it is. You just care. And you care that your life just lives a certain way that Jesus just smiles. Who is Jesus to you? 
Some of you might say, well, Jesus, uh, <clears throat> he's my husband's God, or he's my wife's God, or he's my boyfriend's God, or he's my family member's God, or he's my friend's God, or he's my, you know, you go to church and I do this thing, and I just, you know, I go to church and I try to make it when I can, but Jesus is much more than that. And let me just tell you this, you never retire from living in and through Christ Jesus, you never retire from living in and through Christ Jesus. If you call yourself a Christian, you are a missionary. You are a missionary. To tell, you're to live a Lazarus life and tell others, this is what Jesus has done for me. There's nobody else like him. This is the life God has for you. Who is Jesus to you? God, thank you for your grace and your love. You're so good. And Jesus, uh, we just cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Glory to you in the highest. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to press on towards Jerusalem and your willingness to get on the back of this donkey and ride into Jerusalem knowing that was going to launch a series of events. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. I'm so grateful that your love is greater than our sin. and Your love is greater than our last mistake and our last night. And you see us for who we could be in you. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe your first prayer is this. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Take all of me. Brothers of you, maybe you might consider yourself a Christian, but maybe he's not your all in all. Maybe you need to say this. Jesus, I want more of you. Speak to me every day. Every morning and every afternoon and every evening. I just want to get to know you more. If there's anything in my life that needs to be just peeled off, would you just make that clear? Maybe you need to tell Jesus, Jesus, you know where my heart's at right now. I just, I'm mourning, I'm grieving, I'm hurting. Help me, Jesus. God, thank you for your presence here, God. I just pray a special blessing over every home, every man, every woman. We love you, God. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.